Welcome to episode 617 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 617 of I Am Talk with Coach John Houston, Bevan James Oz, and I think the show may start for rent. Disappointing. <laughs> it's not that hard to get some results right. Iron Man Santa Rosa, the winner did not run a 2.42, second place did not run a 2.36. Can it be that hard, Bevan? I don't think so. There were a few F-bombs before the show started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, John, we're, we're in a different studio today. We're in the Newsome Studios. It is humming in the studio. I've got to say, in the studios, John, because like, you were mucking around, and I was just looking at doing kind of the observe, observing your house. You've got Jamie Oliver's 15-minute meals and 30-minute meals. Mm-hmm. Do you ever use it? Uh, yes. And does yeah, it take that long? Uh, a little bit longer. The ones that take a lot longer, I highly <coughs> recommend the Nadia Lim ones up there. Oh, really? But they say the preparation time, the, the times in those are woefully out. Oh, really? They have a lot of dishes. Just when Belinda comes back, just ask her about um, how, how the Nadia Lim recipes go and, and if she enjoys them. Is that a no? Have you done my food bag? No. No, we did it. I did it. I bought it once for Joe because Joe, Joe always said she wanted to do it. Mm. Oh, we've done it for a week. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. so for a birthday, I bought her one. Mm. Joe's a much better cook than Lana Elim. <laughs> so, yeah, so then she, it was good, but because now she not even wants it. Anyway, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. His name is John Gareth the Mighty Flynn. We've got Brett Rainbow Man Subbit. And Jack Cousteau Lynch. Oh, nice. uh, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. We've got an age group of the week. We've got Coach's Corner. We've got an interview. We have. We've got uh, Melanie McQuaid. I've just done that interview before. And she, if you don't know about her, she's a fantastic exterior athlete. Fantastic. Uh, she's a rock star. Yeah. And as well as that, has done well as 70.3s. And uh, yeah, so I wanted to get her on really to talk a bit more about exterior because it's an alternate option that a lot, a lot of you guys don't take up. Um, so some pretty low level stuff um, talk about exterior. It's interesting when we think about exterior because it's actually quite a big sport nowadays, isn't it? It's growing nicely. Yeah. And. It doesn't get much love when we talk about triathlon, does it? No, and uh, you'll hear a little bit more about that when uh, we talk. Oh, see, I'm just feeding the, feeding the audience, John. That's what I'm doing. Okay, this, uh, so let's get into it. So we've got news. We're at Ironman Santa Rosa. It's an age group only race, so we are going to give some love to the winners. Uh, apparently, they ran really fast times, John. Well, yeah. If you if you go to the Ironman website, uh, the, the, the order of finishes is correct. They've got Derek de Corver from the Netherlands taking it out, but his finish time on the Ironman website is 8.22, yet when I go to the app... Uh, it is uh, 8.42. Oh. So I'm pretty sure the 8.42 is right. So you take the both and put them in average? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, how hard is it to get it right? Um, Matthew Malone was in second place in 8.54, and Matt Bender was third in 8.58. Interesting thing for me at this race is a lot of sub-nines. Um, well, not a lot, sorry. There's a... Uh, Depends which website you look at, I guess. Uh, five sub nines, so I suppose that's not that many, that many. On the girls' side of things, let's see if we can um, if we can figure, figure this one out. Track finishes. Here we go. The girls' side of things. Well, Top age group females. Here we. Uh, this is oh, great oh, podcasting. Yep. No, we're getting there. Top okay. age group. Female well age group is it? Santa Rosa in 2018. The winner was Amy Farrell in nine fifty two oh two. Um, C. Cobble was second. 
that's a thing. I can't even get the names proper here. Uh, it was second in, in 9.58, and third place was K. Schmidt uh, in 10.05. So all th- top three were Americans. And uh, I, I, I've done my... Um, I know we'll do that later. My, oh, no, we'll do it now. My, do it now. my, my oh, Monday right. course, yep. course accuracy check. It looked like this one was a bit long. Yeah, potentially. I mean, there's a bit. There's quite a bit of. You're always going to get quite a bit of variation in the in the swim distances, but the times look a bit slow, and the distances look a bit long. So I think we'll conclude from that that it was a little bit long. The bike ride was within one kilometre, so that uh, I think is w- within the acceptable parameters. And the run looked to be, you know, m- most people were recording 179 on the point something on the bike, and most people seem to be recording 41, uh, fairly high 41 kilometre on the run. So it seemed pretty close. And when you factor in the swim, looked to be a little bit long. I think you can look at those results and say that's pretty much as close to bang on as you're going to get. So well done for Santa Rosa on that front. Less well done on the results. Okay, we also had a lot of 70.3s. Vietnam, Tim Reed, and Kyle Fell. Yeah, so um, thanks to Torsten. He always sends us through a really good summary of the results, but it was a battle of the Tim Reed versus Tim Van Burkle in 70.3 over there. Got to just put the little boot into some... Actually, there's several websites that don't use current pictures, and, and one of them had uh, the, the wrong Tim picture up there. Oh, really? um, Mike Phillips, our Kiwi's in third. Rudd Carterfelt took that out. Uh, but the interesting thing on that race there was the return of Caroline Steffen. She finished in third place in the females race. Very distant third, so Rudd Carterfelt... Carterfelt went 4.14 which is really really fast and looking at these results uh, the fifth place male went 14.40 4 hours 14 and 30 seconds she went 4 hours 14 and 36 seconds yeah so only a few 6 seconds slower although there would have been different start times but yeah so she was crushing it Um, but Caroline was 15 minutes behind that we had 70.3 Pay. Pays Dax in France, where they looked atrocious. Andy Boucherer dominated uh, over there, and the local girl Manon Guinet took out the females race in 4.22. We also had 70.3 in Montgomery. Monterey. Monterey. Uh, Anthony Costas from France took that out. Uh, pretty good field there with Starkowitz, Tim O'Donnell, Kevin Collingham, Matt Charbot. So a pretty good field. Um, Cody Beals, who we had on the show fairly recently, he finished in seventh place. Uh, Girls side of things were interesting because Kaiser Sali took it out, but it was a head-to-head battle with um, Marinda Carfrey until, surprisingly, the run. She actually put two minutes into Marinda yeah, Carfrey on the run. You wouldn't have picked that, would you? You wouldn't have picked it. I mean, Kaiser Sali's very, very good. I yeah. mean, she's been on the podium, podium and Kona, but uh, Marinda Carfrey is, um, you know, she'll be deep in her preparation for Ironman Cairns, so maybe she just hasn't quite got the running legs back. But I suppose on the other, the flip side of that, you say really encouraging there that she's had a strong bike ride, um, so we'll see what she can do in Cairns. Uh, Ultraman Australia happened over the weekend as well, and we found that John managed to find the results there. Well, I was sort of struggling. Um, I was trying to look through. So Carl, Carl Reed, we'll, we'll cover this a bit more next week. Carl Reed uh, is Kiwi based in Australia, I'm pretty sure. He is covered in tattoos. So he, he? he sort of races as a, a, you know, a, a lower-level um, male pro athlete, uh, but he took it out. And the interesting thing there was he, I think he broke the run course record by two seconds. He like really had to sprint wow. up the. And, and and the thing with this race is it's a soft sand finish, so <sighs> you're running along the beach, and then you turn and you sort of run up a ramp to, um, you know, as if you're running off the beach. So you turn from there, you got to run through the soft sand, and he made it. Well, I think it looked like two seconds. And I believe the female um, who whoever won the 
Marathon League also smashed uh, that record as well, or she may have smashed it overall. The results aren't up yet, so I was just trying to scan through their Facebook feed. But it looked like they had, uh, I think, 47, 48 finishes. Uh, so, yeah, just, it's really starting to develop into a good race over there in Australia. Good little niche race. So looking ahead for the next month, not much is really happening. We've got Lanzarote in Brazil, which are coming up at the end of the month. We've got Iron Cat in Spain, but for the next week or so, it's a little bit quieter. But we do have John's ITU update, and we had in Japan. We had Yokohama at the weekend, and pretty boring races. <laughs> uh, to be to put it honestly, impressive but boring. Why? Uh, because ended it's up being just big big group group um, rides, which is yeah, that's fairly boring in itself. But what you hope to come out of that is you have some really good head to head runs, so you're really excited and pumped about the run. But it ended up being just dominations on the run. So Flora Duffy, interesting watching the race. You know, Flora Duffy and Katie Zaveris uh, got a little break out of the swim and the start of the bike, and it really looked like it was going to be a two-person TT all the way, and uh, and they'd probably just go away with it. But the pack actually got organised and and reeled them in. So which was interesting. So you wonder if Flora Duffy was a little fatigued or she just didn't want to go for it. The course in Yokohama it does have a few twists and turns, but it's very wide and open both for the bike and the run, which means it's a bit easier for the pack to really get humming and uh, and close them down, so not the best course for doing a solo breakaway. But, but also Flora's the best runner right now, isn't she? Well, she, she's proving that now. So, yeah, so does she just go, well, I'll she, just in the pack and... She's basically a brownie at the moment, you know, she's the, the, fast, the fastest, or no, right up there in the swim, usually the fastest or very close to being the fastest swimmer. She's the best biker and she's the best runner. So it's like brownies, they can sit in the pack. They used to slam it on the bike, but they can equally sit in the pack going, Save oh well. well, you've got an interesting stat here. And now I know you can't really compare courses for different race days because of wind and stuff like that. But you got the Flora ran a 33.27 this year and Gwen, two years ago in 2015, or three years ago in 2015, ran a 32.36. So Gwen was quite a bit faster, but again... It's hard to know. It is, and, and I looked at another year there for Gwen Jorgensen, and her time was about a 33 and a half, another year where she was pretty much cruising to victory, so you don't wonder how hard she was pushing. But, yeah, so Flora Duffy, her running is just impressive, but it's not at the same level as uh, as Gwen Jorgensen was at. But still, Flora Duffy took it out from Katie Zaveris uh, and Non Stanford, first time on the podium for her in a couple of years. Said she was looking at... Um, job advertisements the night before the oh, race because really? she's just had such a horror couple of years. Has she done 70.3? Uh, no. Uh, Ashley Gentle was in fourth and Claire Michelle was in fifth. So a number of really fast runs. On the guys' side of things, it was, you know, really shaping up to be, right, we're going to see a fantastic battle here on the run. We've got, you know, Mola there. We've got Bert Whistle there. We've got Richard Murray there. Unfortunately, the um, the Norwegian Armada bloody folded. <laughs> one of them was out of the back out of the swim, and the other one crashed on the bike. And But you were thinking, right, we have Blumenfeld potentially there, so we could have a really good running race. But Mola just decimated them. Uh, ran 29.52. And... I've got to think this course has got to be pretty accurate because it's got a dead turn on the run. So you, you run yeah. to a point and you turn around. So if they get that wrong, that's, that's on purpose, isn't it? It's it's really poor. Yeah. Um, so I've got to think it's accurate. So 29.52. And he was just streaks in front of really? the next, you know. 41 seconds in front of Jake Burke Whistle, who had a tight battle with uh, Fernando Alanza in third. At one stage, it was looking potentially like we were going to have a, a, a Spanish trifecta. They were running in first, second and third, fairly 
fairly early in the run, um, but their, their third runner faded to 11th place. So one thing you've got here is that Schumann hasn't showed the ability to go from sprint to Olympic at this stage. No, he um, cross-country's off, Bevan. Oh, there oh. Cross-country, that's why we're recording here today. I, I was gonna that's why you're shoot. hearing his phone buzz. Now turn your bloody phone off. <laughs> bloody hell, we're professionals uh, here. So yeah, Henry Schumann has been the dominating uh, the first couple of races of the season, both at Abu Dhabi, which was a sprint distance race, and I thought, man, this dude is going to kill everybody all season long. And then he did the same thing at the Commonwealth Games. But yeah, at the Olympic distance, I can't even see his name. I don't even know if he finished. Uh, I'll find it. Yeah, but... There he goes. No, did did not finish. Yeah, did but not, yeah. he has a bat, has had a poor race here, and he and where was the other one where he didn't do he so did well? Did finish the bike. So uh, but yeah, in Bermuda, he did not uh, did not f- he finished, but he was um, was not in first, second, or third. So yeah, it seems to be fantastic sprint athlete at this stage, but has not made that transformation across to Olympic quite yet. The way that I thought he might have done. It's also now the time where the Olympic qualifying begins. So does that race count? Or it is, is race one. Here? That counts from there on in. So and when does it go through to? Well, it'll go through to probably this stage in 2020. So okay. I guess you've probably got a two-year qualifying window. And the idea is your country has to get as many athletes ranked as high as possible. And then it gets divvied up. The number of slots get divvied up. There's 55 starters as a maximum and 51 of those starters will come from qualification, um, qualification and rankings. So I'm not sure how many countries, it's quite hard to find. And I did find one document that kind of outlined the qualifying, but it wasn't as clear as in the past. But a certain number of countries get um, three slots. So for example, I think it was seven countries get three slots and then maybe it's like eight countries get two slots and the rest of the slot countries get one slot. Uh, so the best you, your country can send is three people. The rankings don't determine who gets to go. It determines how many slots yeah. that country gets, and then it's down to your country who uh, who they want to send. So we are underway for Tokyo 2020. I don't actually know anything about the Tokyo course, so I'll be interested to see what how that sort of pans out. The only thing I know that Thomas told me is it's going to be a beach start. There you go. Um, we're up to the Leeds next time. Oh, and I've got hold oh, on. At the Olympics, wait a second. At the Olympics, mm-hmm. they are having mixed relay. They, they are having mixed so relay. Okay, yep, great. Uh, I've got renewed hope for New Zealand triathlon. Bevan. Yeah, tell me about so it. we had a go- uh, we had Sam Ward there. He's had a couple. Is he the of- blonde boy? Uh, no, he's not. Oh. He's he's had an eighth there, and he's also had um, some podiums on the World Cups this year. So go Sam Ward, you good thing. And the other reason I've got renewed hope is I looked at the. Last weekend they had a round of the Auckland Cross Country sort of Grand Prix, the first round, and I had a guy that I coached racing there and uh, looked at the senior results. And we had a triathlete Taylor Reed win the the guys race, and Nicole Vanderkay. He's the blonde blonde guy, and Nicole Vanderkay win the girls race. So Auckland runners, pick up your game. You're getting beaten by triathletes, (laughs) which is great. What the hell is going on, John? You vented before we start the show, but what's what's frustrating you right now? What's frustrating me? It's kind of a double-edged sword. Is so Ironman sent out a press release with the winners of Santa Rosa for age group race. Fantastic. There was a picture. But all it basically said is these are the winners. Didn't say anything about their times. Didn't even have a quote in there. Didn't have anything. And I'm just thinking, surely you can just get one line. You could even write these were their splits and this is how much they won by. Or one-line quote because they would have done interviews over maybe the they were confused line. by their own website maybe, maybe they, they went would. to the website there's two results here I, we can't <laughs> put it out there I don't um, know what happened so if you're going to do a job do it properly do a job and, and your second rant the second rant is female pros from Ironman Texas 
Hang your heads in shame for those of you that were drafting. Your heads in shame. There's a new Twitter handle out at Famous Drafters. And it's quite funny if you go to the, if you go to the Twitter page, the handle on the Twitter page. Wait a second, I'm putting it out because this is quite funny. It says draft. So the name is Famous Drafters, and it says draft. We'll make you famous. <laughs> <laughs> and look, you've got to be careful about judging. Um, drafting by single photos because yeah. uh, it can be when someone's passing and it can be you know if that photo if they're just coming off a hill just going into a hill it, it, it can be misleading and the distances do look a lot uh, more confined than what they are but what riles me about these particular photos is it's basically a pace line and they're all up each other's jacksies and there is plenty of space both before and after. With the other images that came out when you saw those packs yeah, of you're, riders, you're, attracted, you're going, you? you're going yeah. well shit, how, do you get, how the hell do you get out of that? But in this instance, and what really got me wound up and a lot of other people, it is a pace line and the gaps are a couple of metres And if you look at, at the, best. If you look at the picture, there's not many cyclists around. No. You know, you, there's a pack you, of maybe 13 cyclists in the, in the whole picture, um, but there's plenty of space to be. And you can out. see a few of the girls off the back that are sitting at a legal distance, and you're going. There's a difference between a pace line and blatant drafting, and that is blatant drafting. And there's a few people named in there, so we won't no, no, name, we're not them. name them. But, but yeah, they do name this website famous drafters. Yeah. So Jesus, <laughs> females, you know, understand a pace line. Understand you roll into the draft distance a little bit, uh, but there's a difference between a pace line and blatantly drafting. And the other thing that we didn't mention a few weeks Dimity. ago. Dimity Lee Duke, she actually pulled out of this race because she was riding along and a pack caught her up and passed her and said, uh, uh, jump on in, free ride. And you're like, what the hell are you guys thinking? Wow. So it's pretty crap. It is pretty crap, isn't it? Because when we think about it, like the discussion we had was WTC or Ironman are letting these people down by putting too many people on the course. This is not that. No. You know, this is not that. This is actually those people in that pack. Taking advantage of the situation, knowing there's nobody out there and blatantly drafting, not making any attempt to get out of the draft. Because that's cheating. Like, you know, we hate what's happening in races where you've got 3,000 people at the race Mm. and it's making the experience for the participant actually a horrible experience because your whole energy is going into, oh, am I drafting? But this isn't. This is, it's it's advantage for me as an athlete Mm -hmm. against my competitors in this race. So yeah, the space, it's a straight road. You can be sitting at a legal so distance. you can follow famous drafters at famous drafters and you draft they'll make them famous <laughs> Papa Jamie is not always a bad thing John yeah <laughs> okay sponsor extreme endurance Delinda so uses it so Linda, it must yep, be good she just walked in she's been the family's I, been I, sick I thought, this I looked week. at her this morning I thought she's looking healthy yep it's because she's been using the immune boost I was actually we were going I was going somewhere the other day our family's out for a walk we were I gave you a beep for Mother's Day yep. taking mother out That's for a walk it was a present was it yeah <laughs> go, go, for, go for a walk there you go <laughs> you get some extreme endurance when you come back <laughs> but she's been pumping the immune boost because uh, we had a sick family around here and uh, seems to be doing doing the job and She's coming up. No, she's not no. coming up the stairs. I can say whatever careful, I want about careful, Belinda. Careful. Uh, and but also I was on the extreme endurance site and saw they've got an eight hundred runner meter runner on their books. He's an Olympic medalist from the states. And sort of asking, you know, did a bit of big interview with him. So if you go to the extreme endurance um, blog page, they've got some good interviews and good advice on there. Sort of asking about his background, his training, etc. And then sort of said which supplements he's he's using. And the first thing that he said is immune boost because the most important thing for me is to keep that training consistent consistency year-round, fantastic multivitamins. So guys, check it out, Immune Boost. Remember the promo code IMTALK20 and get yourself a 20% discount off. And uh, jobs are good. Keep your training consistently year-round. Not just winter, but you know we can all still get sick in summer as well. 
if Belinda uses it, it must be good. There you go. go. They should have that on their website. Yes. I really think they should. Uh, John, this week's discussion. So this week's discussion is, let me pull up here. What are your tips to deal with drafting in like a Florida situation? So you're not where it should be up on that website, famous drafters, but actually where you're kind of trapped in an an unfair environment. What are your tips to deal with that? I held up hope that we were going to get some good, uh, some good, good stuff here, Bevan. But uh, pessimistic our, side of me it? was people are just going to take little wisecracks, and by and large, that's what they did. <laughs> a few people, uh, Brendan John Murray says, uh, "Get the f off my wheel," followed by a what bomb. So obviously, cranking up the pace. Um, I've got Michael Yeager. Remember that ping on the bike episode? That always gets people off my wheel. That was a great strategy. It was. It's a fantastic. Jason Lentz also says urination is a good idea. Yep. Um, Clive Asplin, uh into hilly races or smaller events. Totally agree with you there. Good old Twenty No has got. I never had a problem with drafting in Kona, so my advice would be absolutely explode on the bike in a Suffolk stream. <laughs> Dehydration so that you're biking painfully slow and get consistently passed. Drafting is easy to deal with when you're unable to stick on someone's back wheel. Then Matthew Bin's got Swanee. Uh, if I ever make it to Kona, I will use this as my race plan. That's cold. Mark, well done, Swanee Noah. Mark Adrian Hernandez, if they draft off you, take it as a compliment. But if it's you that's behind, not worth burning matches or risking a penalty, I'd back off. Uh, ben, I'm going to say Pasella. Uh, my PA is setting draft legal distance behind someone and then a third rider dropping in between, not realising or ignoring that this is also an offence. I tend to get vocal at this point, but expect abuse back. And make sure you don't get too worked up about it as it ruins your race. Uh, Robert Lines, uh, Roberto Lines, sorry, approach to dealing with it, sit up and have a breather, could use that energy later in the day, make effort to drop back to proper distance, especially if moto is about, thinking about wording or, and he thinks about wording a snooty email to the organisers, if you've got more than one rider, leaving T1 every three seconds, then they've created a bike section that's impossible not to draft on. Good old uh, Brendan John Murray's got get the F off my wheel and, and probably pretty aggressively followed by a what bomb. And Frank Houdini, so I've already done that one by the way, but it's, it was so good you've done it twice. Yes, Frank Houdini, go. last one I'll do, allow the sport to evolve and to allow drafting. Have you done Tony Hodge? No. Swim slower. Yes. <laughs> there we go. So one strategy is just become a slower athlete. I think I kind of went through all my tips last week uh, in terms of what you should do so go back and listen to last week's show I think one thing if you've got the balls to kind of speak out because I remember one, one of the I men I did there was a guy who was just blatantly, blatantly drafting on a pack mm. you know we, were, we had a pace line of maybe five and this guy was just literally sitting on the back of who he was at the back of the pack on the back of the mm. wheel and I, I, I'm pretty sure I gave him abuse mm. but also we kind of the whole group did we just yeah. kind of shamed him mm. we were like Look at you, mate, you cheat, you know, and, yeah. and, and he kind of pulled back. So if someone's blatantly doing it in that mm. situation, like a bit of public shaming is not a bad thing. You've got to be careful in those circumstances as well uh, for not getting a blocking penalty. If you're going to ride next to somebody and give them some abuse or give them some tips that they may not actually know the rules, you do have to be careful not to get a blocking offence or yeah. a drafting penalty yourself. Uh, that so would just, be the ultimate insult, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, eh? if you ride up next to somebody and, uh, and if you don't get your front wheel in front of theirs, then you could get yourself pinged a drafting penalty. The other thing that I would encourage people to do is, look, if you re- if this issue is really riling you, no, is volunteer to be a draft marshal. 
And look, I think what race organisers need to do is just start to come down on this pretty hard, especially on the pros. I think start at the top, do what Challenge have done at a lot of their races. I'm not saying Challenge is perfect at every race, but they've, they seem to have some pretty vigilant draft marshals. So if this issue is really riling you, put your hand up, get yourself officiated and go and volunteer at a race to actually be a draft marshal and actually start trying to help solve the problem. Yeah. Because I, I'm sure if you start dishing out pro penalties and you really start, you say to people before the race, we are dishing out penalties today and you dish them out, I think that will help the problem a lot. It won't solve it, but it will help the problem a lot. And also go with challenge theory of doing extra run. Mm. That, that, oh, it's a killer. the biggest deterrent. Mm. And, and, you know, makes people think twice, which is going to make it a fairer race. Okay, uh, this week's discussion. Just, sorry, Ben. Imagine doing an extra K in Kona. I just, oh. it would kill you. Oh yeah, and you had to go. What's that bit of that hill that when they when they pa- first Palani or, Palani, or, yeah. or something like that? Yeah, It'd be or the in the energy lab, you have to run past the turnaround. That would probably be the worst if you're in the energy lab. Yeah, you don't have a lap and you had to lab. run past the turnaround 500 meters or something like that. That would that would be tough. Yeah, it would definitely make it would it would discourage drafting, mm. wouldn't it? Yeah, mm. totally. Okay, this week's discussion. So we've pretty much hit the end of the Southern Hemisphere season. Although we have got Kens, which. It's a funny time of year for a peak race, but um, what has been the most impressive performance that you have seen at this part of the year with the Southern Hemisphere Racing? Also, what have been the performances or the performance that has not been given enough credit? So that's what we want to hear about in this week's discussion. So go to either Facebook or you, there's a link on our website, www.imtalk.me. Jombo. We'll got- skip this age, this age group. It's too hard to find correct times. For, I was gonna I was gonna choose some age groupers from Ironman Santa Rosa, but this morning they've decided to put the incorrect results online. So I don't want to give people credit when the times aren't accurate. So maybe I'll try to come back to this next okay, week. Well, let's put the interview up. So we've got an interview with who? Melanie McQuaid. Just quickly on her website, she's trademarked racing racer girl. That's been around for quite a while. Trademarked it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, good on her. She's entrepreneurial. So here is racer girl Mel. Okay, guys, we are delving into a world that a lot of you will not be familiar with, the world of Xterra, and we've got uh, one of the queens of Xterra on the show, but the good thing is she's dabbled in triathlon so she can speak in our language. She's two-time ITU cross uh, triathlon world champion. She's won Xterra world champs over on Maui three times, but in the triathlon world, she's won uh, six 70.3 races, uh, also a couple of um, Ironmen under her belt as well as a well as a bunch of other events. So, uh, Melanie McQuaid, welcome along to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Now, you started your career, I think, more as a, a mountain biker. And and often, uh, at least down here, when we see sort of triathletes going to the dark side, they, they transition across to either multi-sport or, or possibly Xterra, and it's considered the dark side. What about coming coming the other way from mountain biking to triathlon? What did your, your mountain biking buddies think of that? Well, I think um, back when I decided to do that, um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think very many people in mountain biking think that that's an option because um, swimming is often the the barrier to entry. And um, I was just lucky in that um, when I was mountain bike racing, the the crew from Xterra, the Team Unlimited group, they actually ran a World Cup final and an off an off road um, 
stage race in mm-hmm. Hawaii and and they brought the the national team from Canada in a couple of times to that race and so they kind of were like buttering us up to bring us <laughs> to the Xterra scene and a, a, a group of my teammates actually from the national team had done the Xterra World Championships before I ever went mm-hmm. and um, and so for me, it was kind of a no-brainer. I, I had a little tiny bit of swimming background from high school, and I actually was a runner in high school before I got injured and, and turned to cycling. So as it turns out, um, Xterra was kind of like a sport made for me at the time. <laughs> so it was a really easy transition for me. Um, but for many of my teammates, the the swimming was uh, a real problem. Mm. Um, I don't know if you'll know the answer to this. My son keeps asking me, when did, when did mountain biking begin? And uh, I was trying to think it might have been around about the some stage in the early 80s but what about Xterra do you know um, when Xterra actually sort of first started or when they had their first uh, world championships in Maui or anything like that I want to say it was the mid 90s I want to say like around 95 or 95 or 6 is and and Originally, like the the original intention of Xterra has largely been preserved in that they wanted to create a, an event that um, would bring the best, like uh, from uh, like short course and long course triathlon and mountain biking, and and sort of create a course and an, an event that all of these different sort of athletes could compete against one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, like the spirit of that is still in the sport. Um, but what we're seeing is like athletes like Flora Duffy are just basically so talented across the board at everything mm-hmm. um, that Xterra in itself is uh, is a is a race of athletes that are just very well rounded, mm-hmm. like excellent swimmers, excellent riders with skills, and excellent runners with skills. Because it is a different thing to to run on trails than to run fast down down a paved road. So um, I just think it's I, I think it's the last triathlon. Um, where it truly is the best all-around athlete wins because of all the issues we're having with non-drafting, <laughs> racing, yeah. drafting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah certainly a, a bit of a hot topic at the moment. Um, well, you, yeah. you, you kicked off your season with a ninth place at St George 70.3, which uh, I'm not sure if that was the official kickoff to your season, but uh, it was a pretty stacked field. So tell us a bit about um, what you've been doing with your, your off-season and if you have done any other racing, um, because I know that last year you won the ITU um, cross champs in Penticton so what's been sort of happening between then and now oh well that, that, like so much it feels like it's been way over a year um, so when I went into Penticton I actually did an, like an enormous training block thinking okay I'm going all in on this race and um, I had a great peak and I won that race and I felt super strong and then about four days later, I got shingles, mm. and that sh- and that should have been um, my warning that like something was awry. Um, and instead of heeding that warning, I basically I thought I had poison ivy initially, so I basically didn't even realize I had shingles until like two weeks later, and I was like at the doctor's and. Um, and so I had a relatively mild case. Um, it was sort of in my SI joint. So that's part of the reason why I kind of could ignore it is it just felt like everybody else's like sore SI joint pain, um, mm. except for the fact I had a poison ivy-ish type rash. Mm. Um, and so I just kind of carried on and basically kept with my plan to go to Ironman, Arizona. And um, 
And I did uh, like one an Ironman build that I felt was going to put me on the podium for that year was like the strongest um, block of training I've ever been able to to do. Um, and eight days out from the race, I went into atrial fibrillation. Mm. And so um, I got and that. I don't, I don't there. There's a lot of a variety of theories behind that. And, and I basically now that I am where I am right now. I'm quite certain that both of those incidents were indications that my nervous system was shot. And, um, and so, you know, when you go into AFib, they give you the paddles, which is a pretty frightening, um, pretty frightening experience. And, uh, and so when I came back, well, and obviously I couldn't finish Arizona. I was just crap like the whole day and, and I got off the bike and it was like, this is, I didn't come here to like basically go this slow <laughs> mm, and mm. I, and then my body wasn't letting me go very fast and for like about three weeks after that race my heart rate didn't go under 60 even at night and my resting heart rate's about 38 yeah. um so so it was a really bad time and so i basically took six weeks off yeah. and i stopped training and i i just started thinking about you know what am i going to do next and what do i want to do with um my experience in triathlon and and i have i have had a group of athletes since about 2008 um and so i kind of built my group up to 10 now and and about half ironman and half um see sort of ironman and off-road slash one one athlete was full off-road racing um for a while and and she's racing pro in xterra now Mm. um and and so i thought okay i'm gonna be a coach and I don't and but I felt like just be based on what had what I'd been able to do leading into Arizona that 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 I wasn't I wasn't actually finished as an athlete yet but potentially my body was saying that I just couldn't do the work anymore and so I came back to training and and I I trained with this very young um, ITU group in Victoria and instead of putting any sort of um, deadline as to when I was gonna start racing, I just started training to try and see what would happen with my form. And if my form was getting to a place where I could be competitive as a professional, then I would race. But if it wasn't coming back, then um, then that was that. Like I, d- I didn't need to race just to race. I wanted. I just feel like the only thing I haven't accomplished as a professional right now is I haven't won an Ironman. And so I got second and, and part of me is like, okay, well I could retire knowing kind of that that was pretty good, but I would like to try and have a, a solid go at an Ironman again. And, but that was not going to happen unless I was actually really competitive at other points in the season. I wasn't just going to go straight to an Ironman. Mm. And, um, and so like after that six weeks off, which is quite a large break, um, a couple of things happened. One is, um, like I had a really devastating ankle injury in 2016. And I, I know a lot of athletes have come back from crazy injuries and way less time, but for two years, I really haven't been able to run like at all. Mm -hmm. And nothing I could do was making it work. And, and the normal kind of training just wasn't affecting the same sort of, um, like fitness and and I was really just struggling to get a lot of that bounce off the ground in my ankle and when I and I I, so I came back really too early in 2016 and I started 2017 with actually a stress fracture from going to New Zealand to try and race (laughs) Um, more time off and then 2017 was what it was you know it was like it was all kind of average until I had the one peak race and then it just all came unraveled at the end of the year um but then after this break uh suddenly like when I started running like there was like I just remember the day I was just going out for a long run and all of a sudden 
for the first time in two years, I was floating again. And, uh, and I was like, okay, now that's like a major game changer. Excellent. And then I also like, when I came back from this break, I decided that I was going to focus all of my energy on getting fast again. And, um, and so I started training a lot like what I was when I was, I was doing Xterra and, um, and I started and I, and I train myself now and, and, and although I do like take advantage of a lot of the excellent coaching that I get from Kelly Guest in his, um, his ITU group, I put together my own program now. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really just sort of listening to what's happening on the day rather than having somebody sort of plan something, not knowing exactly how I'm going to feel. And, and that has honestly been like, um, amazing. It, it really, it takes a lot of sort of, commitment on my part like I, I have to be sure of what I'm doing on that day because I've made that decision and nobody else is like I can't just like look at a program and just do it I have to decide how I feel um but my numbers are starting to get more like what I was doing in like 2011 and in 2011 I was like destroying the bike that year I had just such an awesome year um and because some of my numbers are starting to get back to there. And, and I, I think St. George is sort of an indication that it's coming back. Cause I had a lot of issues in St. George that don't reflect how well I could possibly ride. Um, I, I only put your St. George in like three weeks before the race. Like I suddenly bought my license and was yeah. like, I better go racing. Cause I think I'm in shape right now. Yeah. And um, so I just like hurried through this license, got a ticket, went to St. George and um, got dropped on the downhills. Cause I didn't have a big enough gear. Cause St. George for all the uphills is way more downhill than uphill. Yeah. And I forgot. Um, but yeah, I was actually in the race. And so some of the things uh, uh, that, I can see after coming back from this break is a I'm fresh. So I'm starting to um, get some of the, the recruitment that I had when I was racing shorter and harder. And I think that I've just made a real um, mistake in sort of overdoing a lot of my endurance training. Like when I switched to Ironman and I'm going to um, remedy that. Mm. I mean, for somebody like me, who's been training an endurance sport for 20 years, I really don't have a hard time riding for five hours. Yeah. And, um, and I know that, uh, but the, it, like, I think Ironman really scares people into thinking that, you know, you know, you're not going to finish when, you know, a lot of us have that work done and we just need to make sure we can go fast enough that when we slow down, it's still fast. And so, so just in terms of the, in terms of this season though, so you, you you sound like you've got got the ball rolling and you fe you're feeling quite good. So have you? you I know you said before St George it was a, it was a three week and uh, and jump in sort of job, but do do you have any sort of firm plans for this year at this stage? Yeah. So for, I was originally going to start with Victoria, which is in um, which is in three weeks. So I'll, I'll race the Victoria seventy point three as well. Um, and then I have another try the dirt. That was the other thing about St. George is I actually coached the weekend before the first one of my try the dirt mountain bike camp. So I wasn't nice. sure if St. George made sense because I was going to spend three days like not training and coaching. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm going to do Victoria and then and then coach another try the dirt. And then I'm going to decide um, whether I'm going to do Coeur d'Alene or I'm going to do Santa Rosa 70.3 because I'm absolutely going to do Ironman Trombois. So that Trombois will be my main Ironman goal of the year. And then um, after that, I'm going to go and just see what I've got. I'm going to go after Flora at Maui. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very good. 
<laughs> and yeah. um, in, in terms of you know Iron Man further down the track, you know you've had yeah, as you said you've had a second at Iron Man Canada. I think you had a seventh uh, at Arizona. Um, and I know you've raced in Kona on the seventy point three because I was there one year that you you raced. Um, yeah. Are, are you is doing Hawaii and doing well in Hawaii uh, a, a strong motivator for you? Well, I mean, to be honest, I've never really gone that great in super hot weather. So I don't know whether or not Hawaii would ever be like a real great race for me. And and I really don't feel it's healthy to do the qualification that Ironman demands right now. Mm. Um, had they had they changed the qualification to what it's going to be next year, then I would have legitimately tried to qualify for Kona this year. Mm. But just my experience with what happened to me last year, like just doing all these races to get points to then go just crappy in Hawaii makes no sense to me. Mm. And I, like, I don't actually think that that's necessarily going to be my race anyways. So Mm. I'd rather just focus my energy on races that I can try and win. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, and then I have athletes that are going to Kona um, this year that I'll just go and cheer for them. Excellent. We'll see you. So, we'll see you on the sidelines. Yeah. Um, exactly. um, just in terms of making a living as an exterior athlete, you know, what's it like? Maybe contrast it to say if you were exclusively doing say seventy point threes or non-drafting races. Um, how, do, how, how does it sort of compare in terms of actually making prize money and making a living from the sport and getting by? Because we know for you know for seventy point three athletes, if you're winning lots of the major ones, it's okay. Um, yeah. But what about what about Xterra in terms of the prize pools and 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 how you can derive an income from that sport? Yeah, I think I think things have changed a lot since I was in the sport of Xterra. Like back when I was racing up to twenty twelve. Um, like the, the sport was really growing along with the sport of triathlon. And, and so there was a lot more, especially in the early, early time, because I started in, in 2001. And so between 2003 and 2007, which were like the solid years of triathlon in general, um, there was a lot of sponsorship in Xterra. So for me at that point, I was making a salary and I'd get bonuses and then I was winning races. So that was like, that's the ultimate trifecta as a professional Mm -hmm. athlete. Um, And so I think that when I did that, it also, because the sport of Xterra was doing a great job in, um, in creating uh, heroes out of its athletes, um, I managed to create a name in the media that was also covering Xterra um, that I that helped carry me into Ironman and gave me a lot more attention than I deserved in my early time racing Ironman and not really knowing what I was doing. Mm. Um, so, so a lot of uh, for me at that time, um, you know, once you have once people sort of recognize that you're a pro that has done something by your name, then it's a little easier to get support to do that. Um, if I look at what's happening right now, there there's no media coming to any of the races, whether it's seventy point three or um, or Xterra, and so that means that. They, they're just basically, like, I don't know how they're writing this stuff. Like, if they're basically... <laughs> they're not, I can tell you that from, from our end. <laughs> yeah, like, they're just on Twitter, like, seeing what the athletes say randomly. Like, it's not the same coverage. Like, the, the whole idea of having event coverage in triathlon is, like, it's not the same as it was way back when so the stories aren't as good and the Mm. and so athletes don't get the story of what they did very well so 
And there are so many races on the same weekend. So it's just a jumble of randomness that's mm. coming out. And it's really difficult for new athletes to come out of this environment and stand out. Mm. Right. Because like, so what we're going to see is we're going to see athletes that have made a name for themselves in ITU that are suddenly recognizable coming into Ironman. And then they have a recognizable name that the media will then hang on to. Mm. But there's the athletes coming in that don't already have a name are going to have a heck of a time getting any sort of notoriety or um, name recognition, which is what sponsors are looking for in to, in to pick them up. So I think for whether an athlete's racing Ironman, which is next to impossible as a development athlete, right? You can only race so many races a year um, or you get one year and then you're going to be injured the next, right? So racing for prize money as an Ironman athlete is just a terrible business model. Um, in Ironman, what I'm seeing is that athletes race more and more and more. And as far as for me as a coach, I don't know how some of these other coaches manage their athletes, but I think the... The nervous system fatigue from a half is not the same as an Olympic distance race. And so plowing through like nine races a year, I just think is is insane. And, and that's what some of these athletes are doing in order to make enough money to survive. Mm. Right. Yeah, the exactly. good thing about Xterra is that athletes could race theoretically like two to like I used to race like 11 11 weeks out of the summer and then take a short break in the fall and then gear up for Maui, right? Like I could do a ton of that kind of racing. And, and there are, we used to race anywhere from like 220 to three hours, like three hours would be a really long one. And, and, and generally only the U S nationals and worlds were that long. So mm -hmm. it allowed us to go week after week. Um, more, more similar to what like the ITU athletes are doing. Uh, and at that time we could make enough money from those races that I, I think everybody was sort of making money, um, that allowed them to keep racing. Like nobody was like banking lots of money, but unless they had sponsors and bonuses, um, but they could keep racing on that schedule and um, on the prize money. And unfortunately right now, like there's a lot of races in Xterra, um, but I think unless you're racing in Europe where the travel is short or driving distance and there's like a ton of races sort of within this one hour flight sort of, you know, easy jets, um, budget schedule. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that I, I don't think the Pan Am tour makes any sense to a professional athlete like the the US um, and US South America, Central America, like what they're doing in North America doesn't make sense in my opinion. But what's happening in Europe is really quite good. The the races are big in Europe. They I think they get a lot of attention. Those athletes are doing fairly well with sponsors. Um, and, it, and it sort of mirrors what's happening with cross country mountain biking where cross country mountain biking is fine and dandy in Europe. Um, and it's not as good in North America. And, um, and I, I think that there's just a, a different market over there than over here. And, um, so whenever I talk to professional athletes, I send them to Europe and just say, that's where, <laughs> that's where you're going to spend the season. And then, um, we'll see you at us nationals because us nationals is a good race and Maui's a good race, but, um, the, the tour in North America right now is like, it's it's hard it's hard to make that pencil. Yeah. So just so you've you've kind of started to answer these questions, but in terms of Xterra side of things, um, putting more of a, a hat on as a, as an age grouper, um, sort of contrast how how hard they are for you know say a middle of the pack age grouper compared to a middle of the pack um, sort of seventy point three age group athlete. You know durations for them and what sort of a toll it takes on their body. Is it more like doing as you said an Olympic distance race? or is it more like doing a half half Ironman? 
Well, the interesting thing is it's it I think it's more it's more like an Olympic distance race in terms of how fast you're gonna try and go. Mm. Um but the funny thing about mountain biking is it, it does a lot of physical damage to your muscles, right? Like you, you kind of feel a lot more beat up from mountain biking for much less time because it's a very, you know, anaerobic um, effort. So you kind of shred your muscles from the effort and, you know, everybody sort of like bashes their leg on this, that or the other, you know, like there's always like kind of random bruises that you find after the race that you can't really remember where it happened. Mm -hmm. So, so there's like, there's kind of physical damage from it that, um, takes a little longer to recover that from. Um, and, and, and and I, I think like that, uh, depending on what your training is, that can do more and less damage to you, like whether you're prepared for it or not. Mm. What about distances? You know, is it consistent? You sort of said Maui's a bit longer. Is that because it's a harder bike course? So, so in terms of distances, what do, what do you typically have in terms of swim, bike, and run? Well, the funny thing about Xterra is that the distance is largely irrelevant. Um, the The swim is usually two laps of 750 meters, and, and that's one thing with Xterra that sort of differentiates it from other sports is almost always you get out of the water, run on the beach and do another lap. Like that's, that's kind of the hallmark of the sport. So it, it, that we do have some like funny swims, like Richmond used to be across this like random river without enough water in it. And there was like more running than swimming. And, and that one was like a thousand where, you know, it, it was only a thousand in time because they made you swim upstream or something like that. Yeah. So, um, so really, if you if you look from race to race, the only one that's the only part of the race that's generally sort of attempting to be standardized in distance is the swim. Mm-hmm. The bike is generally like they're 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 aiming for a certain amount of time, and so they kind of I think I think in general they want the men to to ride between an hour and an hour ten, and the women like you know I would ride within about ten minutes, ten to fifteen minutes of what the men would ride, depending on if it was that short. Um, something like that. So we'd be to somewhere like, you know, like about 10 minutes behind them on the bike. And, um, and so that's what they would get, like want the pros to take in order for the race to be about two and a half hours. Mm. Right. So mm. they're kind of like anticipating how long, um, we'll bike for, because if it's a, if it's a like a fire road, obviously we're going to get a lot closer to 40 K, but if it's very tight, technical single track, like it's going to be really slow going the whole time. And so, so on the bike, the distance is the most erratic. Like it's just, that's totally time-based and, and what terrain they have available. Um, and then the run is, is generally somewhere between eight and 10 K, um, Again, if it's a if it I, Maui's actually a full 10k, whereas like some of the other races are are sh- are short. I think the Xterra Victoria is actually 10k. Um, so in, in that regard, yeah, it's, it's usually about the same distance, but again, it takes quite a bit longer because they are often very hard trail runs instead of um, on the road. It's- and they and, uh, like it, it doesn't mean that the 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 race itself will be all on 
um, trails or whatever. Like what we, there are a variety of races that sort of incorporate whatever the local terrain is. Like you might connect some road sections to get to another piece of single track and similar on the run. So um, it's it's just basically a mix of terrain. So for for, for the age groupers, it'll be very different for you guys uh, for the for the pros. And like when I've watched pro mountain biking races and stuff, you know, there's quite a bit of single track. But how do they sort of deal with that when it's um, age groupers and say you've got I don't know, 500 people on the start line. Um, how much single track is there often and, and how the hell do you get past people when it's uh, when it's pretty narrow? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, a very good question and, and my answer is always you swim faster. <laughs> good. good. <laughs> right? Like that's, we used to have this one race in Tahoe that was some of the most brilliant single track that you could possibly ride on, um, but it was on the edge of a cliff so yeah. you can't get around on the right. And yeah. uh, and it was like, it was probably a 20 minute section of basically one piece of single track where if the athlete didn't pull over, you would either fall off the cliff or you just couldn't get by. <laughs> and there was an hour of climbing to get up to there. Yeah. So you have an hour. So if you swim too slow, then you're basically not going to make it through the the bottleneck that's going to happen on that, that piece of the flume trail. Right. Yeah. And, and there would be like angry dudes back wherever and there'd be a lineup and the answer is always you should have swam faster. But that being that being said, um, there there are sort of like sportsmanlike things in sport, and and it is faster to follow somebody in single track if they are technically better than you because following mm. someone else's line is just, if they're going faster than you, they're going faster than you. Mm. Um, so I, I'd say in, in most cases in the sport, people will let each other by and and just basically if you if you say the word track, generally that means you want to get by. Somebody will find a safe place to move over, mm. and and you ride on by, mm -hmm. and it, it just kind of works out. You mm. know, it's just. But certainly, like, if you don't want to encounter any traffic, it's best to be a good swimmer. <laughs> nice. Now, um, a lot of our audience that are going to be listening to this uh, are not going to own a mountain bike, and they're probably going to have a TT bike, uh, and maybe a road bike if, if they're uh, in a good situation. So <laughs> if people are first starting out, and again, let's, let's take a middle-of-the-pack sort of mountain bike, a middle-of-the-pack uh, triathlete, when they go right, I need to get a mountain bike. What what are the things they should be thinking about if they're thinking Xterra? Well, okay, so so Xterra is definitely a cross country race. So it's you you want to have a light cross country bike of some sort. And in uh, and and in the past, a lot of the pros would choose like a hardtail because it would be the lightest possible option, so that you're when you're blasting up hills, then you have the lightest possible bike. Um, but like as the technology and cycling has evolved, like dual suspension bikes are really light. And for a pound or two, you could actually have a dual suspension bike, which um, for maybe if you were like a full World Cup racer and it totally mattered how fast you could accelerate, then the weight of your bike would be um, – you know, a bigger factor mm -hmm. than um, in Xterra where you're generally going to time trial and, and you're not really going to surge in a lot of places the same as you would when you're racing head-to-head -head in like a World Cup race. So I think all Ironman athletes should choose a dual suspension full stop because mm -hmm. they'll just have that much um, more help to, uh, you know, adopt some of the skills that they need for mountain biking. Um I like I like athletes that I coach to also um, 
have the option of a dropper post because um, one of the biggest things I see in like Ironman athletes coming over to, to mountain biking is their position is terrible. And, and most of the issues that athletes have in terms of navigating single tracker or, or feeling comfortable on their bike is they're, is getting the right position where they're, they're staying centered on their bike and they're in control. And um, a, a dropper post does a lot for. Maybe um, just explain oh, what a dropper post is because okay. a lot of people aren't going to know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, like, the, there's this new, there's really cool technology where you can have like a, a like basically you can just hit a button and all of a sudden your seat's gonna lower um, lower down closer to your top tube so that you have this um, space between your legs that you can move your bike a little bit more um, and then with the same button it'll like kind of pop right back up to where you've naturally set it for, for so that your seat isn't too low when you're riding so it's like kind of like an on-demand drop your seat lower um, option and the funny thing about it is that they're they're starting to adopt this in world cup racing so I like what I imagine is going to happen within about a year or so is that pretty much all bikes are going to come with a dropper post mm. so um, it is a, it is a really great thing for beginners as, mm. as far as I'm concerned. So, um, and I think as, as much as like most of, I find most of the Xterra courses are not technical at all in, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and so I don't know that I would necessarily need a dropper post for any of those races, but, um, certainly when I'm like trying to teach people how to do things, it's really difficult to like, um, demonstrate the position when you have the seat way up high. So, mm. Um, I, so I do like having it, especially when I'm coaching. So, um, so I say for, for most athletes, make sure you get yourself a dual suspension by the, by, by a light one, if, if you want to be fast, because, and especially focus on having your wheels be light, because that's the most, um, there, that's the highest penalty is for heavy wheels. And, um, uh, make, if you can get a dropper post, that's a great way to learn. Um, and then get some lessons. Mm. Like basically trying to chase after your buddies and not get dropped is not the way to learn how to mountain bike. Mm. That, that was going to be sort of my next question. You know, obviously the training for an exterior, you know, you need to be have a lot more variability to be able to go, um, you know, hard for short periods when you've got short uphills. And so a lot more variability rather than just going into a, you know, a TT, straight TT with, a, with an even power output as a lot of, uh, you know, 70.3 and Ironman athletes will train like that. But, but mm -hmm. the skill development, of course, you know, going on a course is fantastic. Um, if people don't have that available to them, is, have you got any sort of tips that you know i know it's very hard to do over audio but but little things <laughs> that people might be able to try to do um because i think probably for you canadians and us kiwis you know we, we take a lot for granted i think you know everybody knows how to ride a bike we were brought up just either riding to school or we live next to hills so you, you can kind of everybody can ride a bike but a lot of people their first bike is going to be a time trial bike and that's how they've learned to ride so in terms of the <laughs> skill development you know any any sort of tips you can give people well, I, I think some of the skills that go into mountain biking actually apply to to um, to riding a time trial bike. And I, I and the more like I remember back when I was watching the Olympics in Athens, you know, like there would be girls that were at an Olympic level um, that didn't know how to shift gears <laughs> going into a hill. Yeah. Right. And that has not changed in Ironman. Like there is a there is a horde of people that do all of their training on Zwift that have absolutely zero idea how to ride a mount, how, how to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. Like they can get out there into the field, and generally, Ironman's making races straighter and flatter than ever, which makes it as close as possible to riding your trainer. But at the end of the day, there's still going to be people around you. 
-hmm. right? So I I think actually spending some time learning how to shift gears, Mm. like understanding what the difference is between a front and rear brake, Mm. you know? What does your back brake do? What one actually stops you? Yeah. You, you know, like your your back brake is is good for like sort of attenuating speed, but your front brake is is in front of your center of mass. It's the one that's actually going to stop you. Um, and and so these are like just starting some of the basics of learning to ride a mountain bike is how to shift your gears, um, how to use front and rear brakes, um, how to keep your body where like in what the difference is between like a. a a ready and a relaxed position on your bike because mm-hmm. a lot of people that I see in Xterra are always somewhere in the middle, right? They're never really in an attack position, but they're also not in a relaxed enough position to actually rest. They're always right in between those two positions. Um, so, so that's a start. And then, and then practicing things like um, riding at a variety of cadences um uh testing out a variety of different gears and different terrain um and then and then you start to get into um some of the some of the other skills that go into mountain biking that i also think um apply to ironman racing where you learn to um angulate your bike and read terrain and and and, and things like that where um you know, I, it, I was walking to the swim with two women in St. George and they said, oh, like when it rained the year before, they weren't willing to actually even ride the course in St. George. Mm. And it's it's all a, a, they, they just haven't had any um, lessons on how to descend their road bike. Mm. Right. And so I just feel like the, the same skills that we're teaching people for try the dirt will make people better Ironman racers too. There's a lot of free speed if you can ride your bike properly. And there, you can ride up a hill a lot faster if you're in the correct gear riding at the right cadence. So, so the lessons apply to whatever bike you're riding. Um, I did have a final few questions just around Maui and um, and and what that's all about. You know, if you, if you try to contrast Maui to Kona in terms of, you know, it's bloody hard to get to Kona these days. How hard is it for, for an age grouper to get to Kona, uh, to, to Maui, say, compared to Kona? And is it sort of the pinnacle for for in sort of the exterior world? You know, do you think, right, I want to try to make it to Maui, I want to try to make it to Maui. And when you get there, does it have that real sort of world champion feel or is it perhaps maybe a bit more like 70.3 where you go to the 70.3 world champs and it's very very competitive but it's nowhere near the same sort of level as uh, as Kona yeah no I think I think Maui definitely reflects the sort of Kona feel it's a it's a big party there's lots of um, lots of pomp and circumstance at the race. It is one of the biggest races of the year, and it does include all the best, best athletes from around the world. So um, I think that that Maui is, I, I think it's a Kona experience. Mm. Um, how hard is it to qualify? I think it really depends on what your skills are. And and I got absolutely like destroyed once when I said it's actually, I think athletes are, are I, I forget what the word I, maybe my wording was wrong but I, I was basically saying that um racing xterra the the quality of field in xterra is higher and what i meant was that um in order to make it to maui you have to be able to ride a mountain bike mm-hmm. right and that is when when you introduce a technical aspect um it's it basically is there's some athletes that are going to be super fit that just don't have that coordination and skill. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's this, this, um, 
you need to have both. You need to have both the coordination and the skill and the technical ability, and you also need to be super fit. Mm -hmm. And so it, it depends. If you're if you have great skills and you get fit, your odds of making it to Maui are great, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have good skills. Um, you better pick a race that doesn't require any. <laughs> yeah, <Not. laughs> that'll that'll help you qualify based on fitness. Not. So it, I, then it just comes down to picking the right race. I'm totally hearing you because if I went and did an exterior race, uh, <laughs> if it was a really easy bike ride, I think I'd have a pretty pretty solid chance. But if it was technical, <laughs> I think I'd get uh, if there were some good riders, I'll get completely cleaned out. Um, <laughs> the fi final question I had around um, exterior: Do you know who's sort of behind it in terms? of you know obviously we've got Ironman's behind all the 70.3s and an Ironman branded race you got Challenge Family but who's who's actually owns and is behind the Xterra brand and is it very much a business for them or or um, what are they in it for? Well the interesting thing is Xterra just got bought by a Chinese company this year huh. and so yeah and so a lot of us don't really know um, so thus far um, nothing has really changed versus like compared to last year, like it looks to me like whatever Team Unlimited has put into place for this year is still happening. Um, but it does have new ownership and and so far, uh, um, well, I personally don't know what that means and it could be just because I'm not racing it as a regular, like that's that would be a good question for one of the pros who's actually on the tour, maybe they know. Um, but I imagine that by the time we get to Maui this year, then generally in Maui it's kind of like a an annual general meeting of the pros and the management and and at that race they usually kind of share what their plans are and and I wasn't in Maui last year I did I do think that this sale has gone um gone through over over the course of the winter like you know or before March or something like that so um, any changes that they're they're gonna make or or differences in what's happening I think that'll sort of Un unravel as the year goes on so I think it's still it's a good it's a it's a good thing though that somebody bought it um and it, it it does sound like they're committed to growing it and um and as far as I can tell from other sponsors and and contacts within the industry I think uh Xterra and mountain biking as a whole is on the upswing right now so it, it's it's a good time for um for the sport Good. Good time for you to be in the sport as well. So just tell us a bit about what you're doing because you mentioned a few of your little camps. Um, so if people are keen to get into it a bit more, tell us about what you do or any, any plugs you've got for yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, so as part of my like my coaching business is called Melrad Multisport. It's, um, it's all built on Mel's Rad Racing Team, which I started back in 2009. Um, and so as part of that program, I do, I do offer... Uh, coaching. It's like one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I do have a squad that basically comes to camps with me um, in town. It's kind of like a kind of like what Siri Lindley is doing, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, outside of that, I really saw a need for teaching people how to race Xterra. Um, and 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 as part of that, it's mostly focused on um, delivering coaching on the basics of mountain bike skills. Mm -hmm. And so I took the PMBIA, which is the gold standard for mountain bike instruction. And, um, and so I've taken that course and I've, I, I've, um, put it into a, a, a clinic where it's specifically the, the type of stuff that somebody going into an Xterra would want to learn. And I basically equip the athletes with some new skills that they can take home and, and incorporate into their training to continually improve on, on how they're riding. Um, so we did one, 
uh, just the week before St. George and it was pretty well received and uh, so it, it motivated me to, to bring back another one. Uh, so my second one is going to be June 8th to, 8th to 10th and that one I'm going to focus specifically on the Xterra Victoria course which is quite technical. Um, it's probably the most technical one on the circuit, yeah. uh, one of my favorites and uh, so and at that one so I'll, we'll go through everything in between um open water swimming so sighting and turning around buoys getting in and out of the water um pack swimming to like the six basic skills of mountain biking and then introducing sort of front wheel lifts and rock rolls and things like that and then um some stuff about running like i can't i can't actually change anyone's run technique in a day or a weekend or even probably a year uh, but I can help people to um, know what uh, what makes a fast run and what things are important in run training and then talk a little bit about sort of how they're running uphill and downhill and, and, and work on more uh, posture and agility. So we do a little bit of stuff on that. And then we um, spend some time... Um, figuring out how people are, are organizing their transition um, and then go all the way to like, can they get in and out of there fast enough if that matters? Cause you know, some people are just there to finish mm -hmm. and other people want to go to Maui. And so we'll, we basically make the clinics and sessions appropriate no matter what level you're at. And, and I believe the one in Victoria, I'm also going to have um, Danelle Kabush, who's like a mental performance consultant come in and talk a little bit about, um, you know, managing, managing your mindset in technical terrain, like, you know, there, some of the mountain biking can be scary, right? So how do you relax and, and do your best and, and um, stay focused on right now? Mm. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about sort of the nutrition and training for the sport, uh, so that everybody sort of has a good solid grasp on like what, what it is to, to train. So awesome. the idea was to, um, build an environment where people coming from Ironman who've had enough of going really long and slow and want to be fast and have some more experience with head-to-head -head racing um, don't want to deal with drafting anymore um, <laughs> but they want to put this engine to work and uh, and so that's the point of my camp is basically there to help Ironman athletes become extra athletes Excellent. So, Look, guys, doesn't matter where you came from. Absolutely. Look, I'm, I'm always encouraging people to, to, to not do the same thing every every year. I encourage people to do sprint distance races, Olympic distance races, and have some versatility in there. So there's a whole other world out there, people. So uh, <laughs> check it out. And uh, if you want to improve your skills, go and check out all Mel's fantastic uh, camps. So thanks so much for your time and, uh, and all the best for the rest of your racing season. And hopefully we might uh, touch base with you when we are on the sidelines in Kona. Sounds good. Does doing excite you? Uh, I'd like to do one. I need to get myself a decent mountain bike. I think there's a couple of cool things that came out of that interview. Is well, uh, interesting things. The new Chinese owners, which is interesting. So Xterra is now owned by Chinese. Uh, we'll see how that sort of panned out. I don't think the 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 Chinese ownership of Ironman. Do you? Does anybody really notice any difference other than a few more races in no, China? I, I think they would have done that anyway. Yeah, the trajectory is pretty much what we would expect. Yeah, so it doesn't. You know. Doesn't seem to have changed anything. It doesn't seem to be growing that much at the moment. You know, like when there was a period where was lots ra of races, races came, came on, lots, you know, what even mm. the 50 51? That's gone ski. Yeah. Mm. And 7.3's expansion seems to have kind of tooted out. You know, there's a lot of races. Mm. And also the buying the marathons, we don't hear as much of that. So mm. it seems to be in this last period of time, they've been a bit stagnant around growth. I think certainly in the triathlon market, in terms of Ironmans and 70.3's, 
in the developed markets, it seems to me that there is enough if races. Back, if we go back like three or four years, mm. there was a period where it was like, man, they are, they are putting the pedal mm. down. And, you know, and just in this last moment, we, mm. you know, like I'm sure it's still a very successful business, but we just haven't seen, I don't know, from an outward facing kind of looking in, we're not seeing as much of this kind of massive development happening. Mm. Um, wait, 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 like Sarah Bike Rides, how technical are they? Well, as 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 Melissa told yeah, us, uh, Melly told us, uh, they you know really varied, and uh, so if you want to, you know, there's some technical, there's some that are on more sort of, you know, have more sections of dirt roads, so you can kind of pick and choose. So yeah, it is something that I'd really like to get. And do in New Zealand, we've only got uh, one Xterra branded race. Uh, we do have another Xterra race. Uh, Exterra style race down in uh, Motutapu. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it's something that I want to do. Um, but there's It'd be an awesome race, that one. It's a beautiful race. Mm. It'd be an awesome race. Okay, John, let's do your Coach's Corner. Three, two, one, Coach's Corner. Corner. Okay, so Tom's got a technology tip, and he and he was going to say on the show, he didn't come on, but he said, you better give me credit, Dad. Yep, so Tom, you better is, give me credit. This is trademarked by Thomas. And he was saying to me, and you've asked me about this before, is... You know, why don't we have one shoe that you can bike and run in and you have foot plates and stuff? And I kind of said to you and I said to, said to him, well, when you ride with foot plates, um, especially if it's a, either a technical course or, you know, you've got, you got to get out of your seat or anything like that, you, you're attached fairly well and your athletes do use them. But if you were doing a hilly course or, or you were going to need to do big accelerations, you're going to be much better off in a cycling shoe. And Tom said, surely we're not too far away, so this is his plan, of having a shoe that you can actually ride in and run in. And he said, you just attach it to your pedals magnetically um, and have some sort of really strong uh, a feel, force field between them so your, your foot guaranteed would not come off yeah. and you'd have your shoe, uh, uh, you'd probably have a plate there so you would have a full sort of hard base to be pressing on yeah, you need and, that. and then you would have your shoe would just, you'd come off, uh, come out of the swim, you'd have your shoes sitting in there and you'd have some, because now there's so many, I've got these new pair of shoes that have got the little dial locking yeah. system for, for running and biking and then you just have some button that would re- release some magnetic uh, pressure when you need to get off and run. So I think, that he's onto it. It's not that far away now. That John, but you would have to have. Up. You should have painted it. You would have to have something that's very, very strong magnetic field that's not going to fail. Because if that foot came off when you were standing up, that would be carnage. And also, what if you crash? Because mm. you can't clip out yeah. as well. So yeah, there are some things to think about here, Tommy. But good start. Good yeah. start. I, I highly recommend you painting it. Okay, so one thing we we got a question a few weeks ago asking if this is from Peter Colson. saying, uh, "Hey, a few weeks ago you mentioned on the podcast how you did group sessions with your club with kickers riding the Kona half course. Out of interest, what apps do you use? Uh, you can answer this on the show if you want. Always listen. So, and you've kind of taken this to the next level and kind of said, "Well, let's look at some of the apps." And I think I might have done this once or once before, but I thought it's a it's a it's an area that's really seems to be getting it's a lot more popular and expanding quite quickly. Like recently I talked about how when I was doing Ironman, you know, the, the, the indoor session was just death. Mm. You do it, worst, worst case scenario. And, and you'd hear of those people in like the snow and stuff when they're trying like they were trying to think, oh, how do you do that? Mm. Whereas now it's actually a viable option and it's actually sometimes a better way to train. And what also highlighted me to actually do this, the other day I was on the kicker uh, and I was riding and, and I'd stuffed up the setting when I actually got on and it was just riding like a normal trainer. Yeah. And I went, oh, this is a bit boring. Oh, really? <laughs> and uh, so because, really showed the value. Yeah, and I was, I, was, I was on Zwift and I should have been going up and down hills. I was like, oh. 
I'll restart that. I stuffed up my setup, and in uh, such a big difference when you're actually on there. So the diff- smart trainers are so much better. So you got the apps. You can use all these apps on on normal trainers. If you've just got a power meter, or even with Trainer Road, and that you can you don't need a power meter. They can do a, a virtual power, but it's much better to have a power meter. But if you're in this game for a long time and if you are going to do some indoor training, strongly encourage you to invest in a smart trainer. I'm not going to go through here, but if you go to, to, to go through the smart trainers, but if you go to DC Rainmaker, he's got the review of sort of the 2017, 28 models in terms of what, you know, the top of the year, top line, yeah. midline, low line, etc. If you're like buying that. any tech, you go to DC Rainmaker. He's, mm. he's a legend. So the ones that I, I'm just going to go through three reasonably quickly, the ones that I've, uh, I use and have used. Uh, so first one up is Trainer Road, which is a percentage-based workouts, so you need to have a really good idea of what your functional threshold power is, um, and the easiest way to do that is to do, they've got a couple of tests on there, you can either do two eight-minute TTs, or you can do your 20-minute TT, and that'll get you a baseline started, but all of their sessions are percentage of FTP based. Now, your fitness is going to move around as you go through the season, uh, or as you make comebacks, etc., so you need to be updating that, because everything, your, your FTP because it's all percentage based so me for example you know when I was building into to Rote or Kona I think I probably had my FTP set at around about 315 watts something like that whereas currently I have it set at about 285 to 290 watts so quite a big difference so you do need to move that around as your fitness changes costs uh, I think it's 10 bucks uh, a month so it is a subscription based model um, the good thing about Trainer Road it's got a massive library of workouts so it does take quite a while to actually find um, what's right for you but then you can chuck them into your favourites they've got some really good filters in terms of time based or intensity based so you can and look around there but that's the big advantage of Trainer Road is lots and lots of workouts. They do also have a workout creator which I've used quite a lot uh, where you can go in there and just create your own workouts so that you've got your custom ones and it is uh, very quick to do that again all percentage based. So when I'm talking um, with the smart trainers what this basically forces you to do is with Trainer Road you do the work or you don't do anything at all. It's percentage based, so the smart trainer will force you to ride the correct intensity. So if you're doing, say, six by five minutes at uh, 90% of FTP, you either ride it or you don't. <laughs> because if you slow down then with your cadence, then it's just going to keep forcing you to ride that particular power. Um, so you don't, you're not changing gears or anything like that. It's basically get on there and go. So I think for me, the big advantage with Train Road is it's quick and easy, and I found it to be really reliable. I use it with my phone, uh, so I've got the the app on my iPhone, and then I've got my either my iPad or computer down there, and I'm watching something as I ride. So I just find boom, get on there, go. You know your workouts. Click boom, job done. Um, the downside is it is all percentage based so you can't ride courses, you're not really changing gears so you do switch off, you basically get on there and you're there for a workout as opposed to actually having to think much about What kind of time frames do you do these workouts for? Uh, train and road ones are typically 60 to 90 minutes. Okay. They have got some shorter workouts in there but typically 60 to 90 minutes. Okay. A lot of you guys will have seen Zwift out there these days. So they've got a, a, a bike app and also a running app, which you can use on the treadmill. Haven't tried the treadmill one myself, um, but essentially... So, so is it linked to the treadmill and controls your... Well, I think that's you've got to have a very high-end yeah. treadmill to be able yeah. to do that. Uh, so, and I, yeah, haven't tried that at all yet. 
So basically with that, it's virtual reality riding against other people and you can get on there and you can dick measure as much as you want or you can just ride laps. Um, it's The app can be on your computer, your phone or tablet. The downside with that is if you're, say, got it on your computer, then you can't be sitting there watching other things at the same time unless you've got two two screens in front of you. Uh, it is a bit more expensive, so it's fifteen bucks a month. Um, Still really greatly priced, but if you like for both of these, you know, for train a row, ten bucks a month and it's worth fifteen. If you're doing two or three sessions a week, hmm. it, it's a great price. And you can turn it on and off. You know, if you if you're thinking yeah, oh, I'm going to use this for winter, I mean, um, yeah. you can turn it on and off, so it's well, month, that's, monthly that's, base. You know, like. Gym membership. If you go to spin classes, you're paying. Well, nowadays a lot of you know you might pay five bucks a class at the gym. Mm. You think about that, and it's kind of an intense workout on a bike. Mm. You know, it's pretty great, pretty fairly priced, I think. So you can ride on different courses. They have a bunch you can choose from. Some are flat, some are hilly. Um, they do also have a workout library. In my experience, their workout library is a lot is a bit more restricted and a, and a lot more intense than what on on Trainer Road. There's a huge selection of um, workouts, and you can find you know steady workout moderate workouts, hard workouts, insanely tough ones. The ones on Zwift, from, from what I've seen so far, are a lot of harder workouts. They do also have a workout library that's really easy, a workout creator that's really easy, so you can create your own workouts if you wish to. Uh, you can also, both with Trainer Road and with Zwift, you can import files from Trainer Road. So if you're creating your workouts in Trainer Road, you can okay. copy that file into, into the workouts uh, and, and do a workout on Zwift. Um, so look, feedback I get from athletes with Zwift is, and from what I'm seeing, is great if you really want to ride hard. If you want to go and do a TT or you want to do like once a week, you want to do a really hard 30 minutes going and finding one of their races and you are actually racing against live, against real other people. Yeah. Uh, and so people find that they can, athletes find can they can get a lot more out of that. Can you hack it? Well, if you're not on a smart trainer and you're just on a regular power meter, then it is a bit so yeah. you're not really comparing apples with apples. Uh, so yeah, it's not an exact race, um, but it's still, I went on there for, for one race, and I was getting my ass whooped pretty really? quickly. Uh, but was it motivating for you? Uh, if I'd been wanting to do a really hard TT, I yeah. would be, then you can go, right, just stick with this person, stick with this person. I'm attacking now, and I'm going to try to get away from that person if there's a bunch sitting in front of you so, or something so, like that. So it can work as a really good quality mm. training session if mm. you're looking for that competitive workout. Yeah, so all these apps are really good. They're... They're just all a bit different, which is which is good. They're not all not all just doing the same thing. And the third one, when this is really answering uh, Peter's question, Perf Pro is what we use with our tri club. We've got uh, currently got fourteen kickers set up with Perf Pro. With the Perf Pro, it is only PC based. Uh, and it's really limited nowadays. So yeah, and and then and the cost is also attractive as well. It's ninety nine dollars for a sort of a small license which gives you uh, up to three riders. If you're wanting to do, set up more of a studio, then uh, the pricing starts to, to go up for have, having the ability to have more people in there. And so Perth Pro is very much on a screen, it's showing what everybody's doing and you're kind of working. Yeah, so you can, you can with that, <clears throat> you've got the best of both worlds of Zwift and, um, and Train a Road. You can either be doing workouts, um, and so workouts are percentage of FTPs, uh, or you can be riding on courses so to give you an example last week with our tri club sessions i was putting it doing a, se a session during the week and we were doing four minute reps so i think we did nine times four minute reps and, and at different percentages so everybody in the room was working at their percentage of ftp so we're all doing the same sort of effort 
works really, really well. You can work your way through a session nicely and everybody's getting the recovery at the same time. Then equally, the weather was a bit crappy at the weekend. So we're, on Sunday, we rode the Kona 70.3 course and then you get in there and you just you just ride and you choose what effort and the, the, the kicker or the smart trainer will basically... Um, you know, simulate the hills up and down, up and down, and so um, yeah, it was it's absolutely fantastic. What's Zwift? Like, this is a totally new world to me because it's kind of I, I don't really ride nowadays. Like, if they do, I don't know, kind of seventy point three on Zwift. Mm. How much does it really like the real course? Well, this is where it's a bit different, and this is what I'm going to say on Perf Pro, and it's similar on Zwift. The gradients are. are feel significantly harder than what they do in real life okay. so you know if you're riding the anything above 10 percent on 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 a kicker at least i'm not sure what it's like on other smart trainers it's really really hard whereas in a riding up a road yeah 10 percent solid yeah but, but you're, not you, you're not you're not dying yeah. uh so that's so for example when I, I plotted the Kona 70.3 course on um, on ride with GPS and I imported it into Perf Pro and when we rode that I'm like this is not the Kona 70.3 <laughs> course this is so insanely much harder now the error there partly when you're plotting on those mapping websites is it's not always exactly what yeah. it's like on the road and then you import that into your app and and then that accentuates the, the gradients makes them a lot harder so what I did then I just went and uh, what you can do in Perf Pro, you can also create your own courses. So then what I went and did is I went and mimicked what the Kona course was but made the Listen. gradients a little bit lesser and then we rode that on Sunday and it felt felt really similar to what it was oh, like riding good. there. So I was putting in a lot more 1% to 4% stuff as opposed to 10% stuff which is blowing people's legs off. So tips for you guys, if you're going to, if you want to do a group session, Perf Pro is fantastic. If you've got that basic version, it's uh, up to three riders. So if you want to get a couple of mates together, if you've got smart trainers and you want to do a good long session or you want to do some stuff while you're doing the watching the Giro or the Tour de France or have a Kona day, you get three of you together, really simple to set up. You can just, um, you basically need an Amp Plus stick. If you've got three people, you might want to have a couple of Amp Plus sticks and it basically communicates with the smart trainers. Um, it has taken us uh, quite a bit of trial and error to get it right with, with large groups. So if you are doing larger groups, uh, you're going to need a little bit of patience and the way we've got it set up with 14 riders on, on kickers is we've got three ant plus sticks uh, and they're spread around the room we've actually got them hanging from the roof so Peter McLeod, got to give him a shout out he's a legend that helped us get all this set up yep. um, we've got three ant plus sticks spread around the room and they're communicating with different kickers a lot, you guys, a lot of them, you'll be thinking what the hell is John yeah. talking about but you've got to have more than one amp plus stick and you've got to spread them around it's all about communicating the data to and from the trainer yeah. so uh, and also we've got one of our amp, amp plus sticks is a powered amp plus stick which gives it better reception so we've got it set up with three rows of riders but again you've got to have good line of sight with the with the kickers and the guy that owns the Perf Pro software is usually pretty good at giving you feedback in terms of trying to set up group situations so Pete there you go hopefully that has helped your Venture into the world of group training. Um, what I would say, and Mel, uh, Melanie McQuaid backs us up, you still got to do some outside riding. It's really easy to get complacent and yeah. be like but Lionel Sanders. He sort of said, I was doing everything online on my, my comp trainer and Swift, etc. Lacking your skills. And you can just forget how to turn the bloody pedals when you're out on the road. So make sure you keep some um, outdoor riding 
if you can. But uh, like, like, like what you guys have done with the triathlon clubs is a really great thing because it's just another way to be social with you exercise as well. Like I'm mm. sure they're quite fun sessions, a good banter and all that kind of stuff that happens mm. within it. So it's just adding another dimension to what your community can do with the sport. But smart trainer, get a smart trainer. If you're in this sport for the long haul and you're going to do some indoor training, get yourself a smart trainer, uh, you know, Reasonable cost, but um, for, for a thousand bucks so, or so. So while you were talking, I, I went on DC Rainmakers website and looked at the kind of the different trainers. The climb, have you seen that? Yes, that looks pretty cool, doesn't it? Yeah, I haven't tried that. So no. that's where you basically put your front wheel in, and it's going to basically start elevating when you when you when you go up. Yeah, so, yeah. so he, basically a quick review of it is he's saying it's definitely pretty cool, and he sees it as a part of the future of interactive trainers. So um, it's kind of early days but it looks like it'd be a pretty cool thing mm. because you don't have so in the climb right now does it just change your gearing does it well yeah it puts more force on so we were, we were trying to do hill reps last week and so I'm basically saying you know the resistance comes on so we have you know we were riding at whatever 80-90% and I say right okay simulate a climb here guys you know lower your cadence below 70 shimmy back on your seat sit on your on the top of your bars and try to simulate what it's like to be doing a climb so you don't have that raising you know the yeah. elevation raise um, so you can simulate it you just slow your, 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 yeah. your, your cadence down but that's um, not changing not, body position which changes muscle groups does it yeah, yeah. And, and so you try to simulate as best you can but it's not the same you can't really get out of your seat um Look, Bevan's probably often says, okay, if you were going to get one, what would be the best one? And there's not one best one out of all these things. You've yeah. got to figure out, you know, what's your, your, your cost parameters, whether you want that social interaction, whether you just want to do the work, and whether you like to ride courses. So they've all got their little pros and, pros and cons. Yeah, definitely. Good, good work there, John. There's a good analysis of the whole thing. Okay, John, let's get into Winger of the Week. This week's Winger of the Week. We're going to our website. Remember, if you aren't on our website, you just go to Strava and your Strava app. Look for Communities, and IM Talk Podcast is the one that you're looking for. Just click on Join Club, and that's how you become a part of our community. I, I might be on this list. It's the lowest. Cho- choose choose uh, what's the number one between one and four, Bevan. I'm going to go three. Three. So we're going to go who's done the most ride time this week. And the most ride time because when you say this week, do you say last week? Because this well, week last week, sorry, yeah, last yeah. week. Yeah. Nick Rose, the Admiral, did oh. twenty hours and twenty-seven minutes on the bike. Admiral Rosie, bloody hell, that's a lot of riding, Nick. Nice, love your work. Didn't do any swimming. Did two hours thirty running, but he had twenty hours and twenty-seven minutes on the bike. It's pretty sharp, Nickers too. So nice work. Love your work, Nick. Love your work. You are a winger of the week. Uh, uh, John, it's, uh, we've got no sorry, we can't answers. do it. We can't do it by gender. Sorry, so we'll just have to do one. Cheryl Rooster uh, oh. did the longest activity: nine hours and two minutes and three seconds. There you go. What a name, eh? The Rooster. Yeah. Rooster Racer. Oh, hold uh, on. Is that Sh- no Sherry? Yeah. Yep. We can't. Yeah. You can't. You can't sort sort by gender here. Yeah? Sorry. Oh, bloody Strava, so racist. Oh, yes. sexist, not racist. racist. <laughs> um, there's no questions and answers. No questions and answers. Oh, let's talk about a patron then. Patrons, Colin, a hungry like a wolf, Durant. Good old Michael, do it, dig it, dooley. And Adam, the King Turner. Jombo, uh, if you want to become a patron of the show, just go to www.iamtalk.me. It's all pretty obvious on the website, and you become a patron. And there's different levels of giving, which also represents different levels of gifts uh, and entries to our Kona Prize, which will be in two years from now. So if you want to email us, you can email us at iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and join the sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And you guys are absolute rock stars. What's your cost, John? Loving the the, the Giro, Bevan. We've got our Kiwi. It's, it's, it's the first time ever we've had a Kiwi that's actually, not quite ever, it's the same Kiwi, 
you were actually watching going, he's got a chance, yeah? Oh, really? Chance, he's not going to probably win it, but, you know. Where is he in, now? He's eighth, I think it is, seventh or eighth. Yeah. But he's in contention, you know. You're coming to the top of a king of the mountain, coming to the top of the finish, and you're going, we've got a Kiwi in contention. This has never happened before. What's his name? George Bennett. And so, how, how old is he? Um, I'm not quite sure, but I'd say, I, I would be guessing uh, mid to late 20s. So that's quite exciting for us because all your other countries, your Poms, your Aussies, your Americans, you've always had a contender or somebody to bear it. We've never had that. We've had guys that have gone close to winning stages here or there um, and we've had a few sort of team so time trial stage say, wins. Other than Bennett, because he's maybe the future, who's been our best cyclist in that kind of world? Well, we have Henderson? Yeah, uh, yeah, Greg Henderson. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You'd be right there. But we've never had a tour, a, a, a tour rider. That I can recall, keep if you if somebody wants to disagree with that. Well, in modern times, it I was, don't recall yeah. anybody ever being in contention for a top ten. We've had guys who could win stages, but we've never had anybody who's sort of been in a, a top ten contention. So that's kind of cool. So is he on a good team? Um, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a couple of good uh, good teammates. And five there. years from now, could he be? He could be, you know, a podium podium getter. I think, yeah. but um, probably doesn't quite have that X factor for actually winning races. Oh, a lot of guys get X Factor in a strange way, John. Yes, so <laughs> hopefully he doesn't have that X Factor. So that's cool, and and for us to have that, and also for us to have a couple of Kiwis that look like they're actually starting to come through on the triathlon scene at Olympic level is renewing my confidence in where we're heading. So that's all good, Bevan. I've been sick for about a week, so I'm just getting over that, and so got a running race this weekend. Oh. So if I haven't done this one before, it's a I think it's about eight or nine k cross country. You just get spanked by the runners. Where is that? Uh, it's out of just a domain over in New Brighton, Rawiti Domain. And uh, so I'll just try to be... How many people will be in the race? Not that many. Well, you know, probably in the... In, in. So we'll start with the senior men and, and probably veterans. Uh, um, 50, something like that so probably. So where are you picking? Can, can you get I top 10? No. Top 20? I don't know. Oh, come on, Newsom. No. I'm going to get absolutely towel by the front row. My aim is not to get lapped by someone. I think we do 2K laps or something like that. So I shouldn't get lapped, but they'll be a long way in front. It's a good time. So what's happening in your world, Bevan? Other than stalking me on Sunday while we're out for our nice family walk in the rain. Yeah, I was, I was impressed with that. Yeah. Where was I going? I think I was going to my mum's my mum's um, Mother's Day dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was all that about? Well, so we... Um, we thought we need to get out of the house and we'll go out somewhere for a drink, go for a walk. Also do a bit of geocaching. The kids like to do geocaching. Oh, where they yeah. go around and find uh, find little spots. When, when you do geocaching, when you find a spot, what, what's there? Uh, there's normally a little container and you can write your name on it. Oh, okay. It's all very secret squirrel though. Oh, mm. So uh, we'll also go and support the new restaurant or sort of cafe in the area. So oh, yeah. I thought um, on Birdwood Road. So I thought we'll go and support that. Oh, I know that. the owner. Yeah. Well, tell them to brush up, brush up a little bit. Oh, okay. Back it up. <laughs> So we thought we'll go along there and uh, they've got a cafe and they've got a pizza area. I thought oh, we'll go to the pizza area, checked it out, opens at three o'clock. We were there at probably three thirty, we're like the door's not open, we went around the back door and sort of said, Oh yeah, we just want to come in. Oh you sorry, we're not opening at three day, we're opening at four and we're fully booked. Uh-huh. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I agree. Sharpen up. Yeah. Why don't you open at three? <laughs> <laughs> If you say three, you open at three. And we booked at a, uh, an establishment, and they may not still own it, for Belinda's mother's birthday this Saturday, and the booking's just been cancelled. Same place? Uh, a different place, but same, maybe past owners, but at the... Same owner. There you go. I'm going to tell my friend. <laughs> tell her to sharpen up. Tell your friend to sharpen, sharpen up. Sharpen up. Sharpen up, Belinda. Just a little voice in the background there. You hear that, team? Yeah. <laughs> just let us know. <laughs> what else? Do you have a goss? That's it.
Abergos, as we're putting the studios on the, on the market, John. Studios are on the market. Yeah, the the the, the Isle Studios, not the Newsom Studios. We're putting it. We're putting a house on the market. It's a bit of a hassle putting a house on the market, John. Yeah. Because a, they kick you out of your house. We're going to have like four open homes a week, mm-hmm. so we can kick you out of our house. B, you got to keep your house clean. Yeah. Now, luckily, I have a wife who is very she clean. Keep, she keeps your house pretty tidy. <laughs> she keeps it very clean. I, I, I contribute probably about 2% of the cleaning of our house. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yep, so it's it's a nervous time when you're selling a house, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a nervous time because we, we are going to auction, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, do you want me to come and do a bit of silent bidding on the side? They say, first of all, yeah, if you, if you can get our price up, <laughs> it's such a hidden miss. But yeah, it's a nerve wracking. So if you know somebody in Christchurch who wants to live in a lovely place in Kashmir, yes. uh, spread the word. Yeah. Um, and you have got high speed internet down your driveway now. You've got, got high got speed your, internet. I've done the hard that. work. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, it goes. I'm actually going to be away for the auction. Mm-hmm. Joe's thrilled about that. Well, that is not so bad. I'll be on FaceTime. Yeah. I'm going to be in Ken. So mm-hmm. it's about four weeks from now. So it's, uh, yeah. You can't hold her sweaty palm. You can't calm uh, her down, though. It's, an auction's a real, it's a real emotional roller coaster road, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because you're basically going into it with a hope of, you've got what you're not going to take. Mm-hmm. You've got what you hope you're going to get. And then there's the dream of that auction that goes crazy. Mm-hmm. And the thing about us is that the house next door to us recently sold, and we've gone with the same real estate agents because the auction was that one that went crazy. Mm-hmm. So basically, nine people turned up to the auction wanting to bid for it. Mm-hmm. And it, it went th- like they had the dream option. You know, like <laughs> that they'd, you know, let's let's say it was worth 500000 you know, they basically walked away with like 700,000, you know, mm-hmm. like it was just absolutely ridiculous. So, um, yeah, so we, we really hope we have that kind of option. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and it must be funny for an agent because when it doesn't work out, dealing with the disappointment mm. and managing your expectations along the ways, you know, it's because if you just put a house on the market, the market kind of comes to you and you can't yeah. figure it out. But, yeah, so you might see me a bit less here. In the yeah, next few weeks. Yeah, uh, greys coming through. Yeah, my greys. Have you got any greys? Got loads of greys. Oh, yeah, I've got a grey beard. Yeah, just pluck, pluck that out. Did you pluck it? Yeah, you wouldn't pluck it, it, would you? It'll get rid of it. Oh, mate. Maybe I'll keep it, I'll keep it real. Uh, so that's our big news. And then what else did the gosh, John? How's your uh, running going along? Your, your marathon preparation? Well, the whole house thing does change the running situation slightly, John. Prioritise? Yeah, so we're not quite sure. Well, if we... we the second half of our year is not set in stone. So mm. I'm not, I've been running a little bit. Um, I'll look to be doing, yeah, I'll probably look to look at picking up next month. I've been saying that for the last three months. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got, I, they sent New York Marathon. They're very good at sending information. I think it's still over 20 weeks to the race. So, mm. you know, I can pop out a 2.15 and, 12 weeks. There you, you go. Know, that's how you roll. So that's pretty much my gosh this weekend. What's up this weekend, Jombo? This you race. Week- I've been doing a running race and dinner out on Saturday. Change venue though. And Where are you going now? Why the kids? That's unheard. That's unheard of. You have to get the get the yeah, the, 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 the downstairs post road discussion. Yeah, uh, and I can't think of anything else this weekend. I think it's about it. I've got a fortieth. I'm going to Kona next week. Oh yeah, so you're going to be right with the with the oh yeah Kona Lava Java. Media, just calm the farm. Calm the farm. God. <laughs> It's it's horrific for the people that are losing their houses. Absolutely terrible. Yep. It's a pretty isolated area. 
This, so, is, this is me talking from a distance. <laughs> but I will say this. The um, Ultraman course, where, 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 the, where, the, where the reaction is actually happening is exactly where the Ultraman Day 2 course goes. So what you basically do on Ultraman is you, you swim um, down in sort of the, the Kona area and then you're more or less riding a anti-clockwise lap of the island. But when you get around to the other side near a place called Volcano and you're coming down towards Hilo, which is the other main um, city in Kona, which is on the opposite side of the island to where Kona is, is uh, they do this sort of little triangular, um, sort of you drop down a hill and then you kind of do this big triangle. It's probably, I don't know, 60... 60 odd K something like that maybe a 50 K sort of circuit but that is where all the action is kicking off and they and I know that one of the roads that they're using uh, is is I think the lava is going to go across that road if it hasn't already it's certainly that area is closed so Ultraman time I think they're going to have to have a new course this year either shorten the bike ride or change the bike ride somehow but that's where it's all kicking off on the opposite side of the island so it's about it's a good I'm going to say it's it's probably like 150 kilometres away from um, from where the Kona Township is. Whether you go the northern part of the island or the, the or across the middle, it's a, it's a fair old distance. Well, you want to go have a look at it? Uh, it cool, would be cool. It? Yeah, I mean, what gets me is these reporters are going. There's toxic gases yeah, coming off. Right this, they're standing right next to it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it can't be that toxic. John. This weekend I've got a 40th. It's going to be a big party mm-hmm. because I've got friends who like to party a little bit hard. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a big night. But I'm slightly gutted. And I'm sure this is what you're going to be doing on Saturday night. The Royal Wedding. Yeah. 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 Pretty excited about that. Really? You want to see what she's wearing? Yeah. Apparently the father can't make it. Oh, dear. Oh, John. I have to admit, if I was in London, a friend of mine I was speaking to her You'd go? <laughs> you, you would go have a look, wouldn't you? I thought you meant you should go to the service. Oh, yeah. I'd be, I'd surely I'd get an invite. You know? Surely they listen to the show. I'm sure Harry's probably, you know. He's a good army boy. They're like Iron Man. If you were in London, would you go? No. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be an event? Belinda, would you go? Belinda would go. Yep. Yep, she'd go. Oh, it's still at the event. Door. I thought she was downstairs. Yeah, see toes. Yeah, see? Yep, she'd yeah. go. Yeah, okay. yeah. Are you going to watch on Saturday night, Belinda? Oh, it starts at nine o'clock. It's she's a bit late. Nine o'clock on a Saturday night, you guys it's are a bit late. We'll be out for dinner and she'll have the app on the bloody <laughs> sitting on the table. Uh, good times. Well, good luck to all the people in London. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very a special moment in your city. There we go. Anyway, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Midnight. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia car. car.